everybody, it's Ben Reiser. I'm Director of Operations for the 2021 Wisconsin Film Festival. I'm also the Head of Programming for the Wisconsin Zone Committee. Is that what it is? Yes, the Wisconsin Zone Programming Committee. Um, and it's, it's in that role that I'm uh, lucky enough to have the opportunity to talk to David Van Auken, who is the filmmaker behind uh, what I would, what I immediately um, recognized when it came in as a submission. I, I watched it and I was like, okay, this is definitely the most Wisconsin, Wisconsin zone film that we're going to get this year. Um, and I couldn't have been any happier to see it and to be able to program it in the festival. Uh, but I wonder, I mean, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Now, I've lived in Wisconsin for the last 20-something years. So I almost feel like a Wisconsin native, but I know I'm really not. And uh, I say this film is like bleeds Wisconsin. And, and, it, and it's this particular kind of element of Wisconsin. But I guess I can't really describe what it is that makes it so Wisconsin-y. And so I'm wondering, do you agree with me? Does this, does this, does, do the characters in this documentary feel, even though a lot of them aren't actually originally from Wisconsin, do they feel Wisconsin to you? And if they do, what do you think it is about, about what we're seeing here that makes it so particular to this state? Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's a lot, you know, uh, first off, you know, I gotta say that, uh, I'm honored to hear you say that uh, that that was your um, response to watching the film, and that's just really awesome to hear. And I'm just you know really honored to to uh, participate as part of the Wisconsin Film Fest, and just really uh, grateful to be here. Um, but yeah, you know, um, I think I'm I'm not a Wisconsin native either. I grew up in uh, in the Midwest, from Kansas City, and I, I live here in Portland, Oregon. But I. Um, you know, I think uh, there's something about the, uh, the film that it just has like this kind of blue collar Milwaukee vibe about all the all the characters um, and yeah, specifically Wisconsin. Um, you know, well, I'm it's, sure it's not. I'm, 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 I mean, obviously it's not. Obviously, you could probably go into any any number of sort of urban cities around the country probably and find similar similar types of auction houses similar types of characters and when i say characters i mean like characters like you know like larger than life um kind of you know died in the wool characters um but 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 yes but you're right it's the it's the milwaukee thing it's such a it's it's i mean you if you've ever spent any time in milwaukee in the kinds of neighborhoods that we see in this film you're i think you're like oh this captures it perfectly. Well, thanks. Yeah, and, and definitely, you know, that was one of the biggest reasons the draw to make the film was just Harry's kind of larger-than-life uh, personality and um, his his character and and just the way he interacts with people is, was one of the main themes I think of the of the film in, in contrasting some of the, the other darker themes that we we looked at. So. Yeah, tell tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to make this film. Um, so my educational background is in cultural anthropology. I studied anthropology from my undergrad, and that was kind of where I was first introduced to nonfiction filmmaking through a 
visual visual anthropology course where I made kind of a, a really like DIY style documentary, um, you know, and that was about a decade before I really um, got serious about trying to become a filmmaker. Um, and before I, I did that, I worked for the Bethausers for a couple of years in Milwaukee. Uh, my wife took a, a job back in 2014, and that took us to Wisconsin for a couple of years. Um, and then I came back to Portland and finished my video production program and uh, did one other short doc while I was there. And this is basically the, the uh, first project I chose to direct uh, after completing the program. So. That's that's fascinating to me that you had you had this experience with the Bethausers. You'd already you you were almost part of the family already uh, when you made this film, um, and 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 it, and it, and that makes perfect sense because um, it, it's it you get the vibe that everyone on screen is uh, is comfortable with you and that you know you know what you're looking for and you know where to find those moments and where to put the camera and, and how to capture not only these characters, but their surroundings. Um, so, so, so at what point did you decide to, to, to make a film about Harry and company? And, um, and what did you, did you have any more of an actual vision going in of what you wanted to capture, how you wanted to tell their story, what parts of their story you wanted to tell and how you wanted to tell them? Yeah, you know, um, so I think I can't remember exactly when I, uh, you know, decided I'm going to go for it and make the film. I think I've had the idea as a, as a student and a video production program. And I, I thought about doing it as a student, but then it was like, well, I'm going to bring uh, students from from Portland to Wisconsin. And it just didn't make sense. So I, I determined it was the a best piece to do right out of school. Um, but, you know, I guess in what drew me to wanting to make the the piece about them and was I guess my experience with them. I, I worked in kind of all different facets of their business. I started working um, in their shop that's featured in the film, uh, the Colonel's Choice, and then from there I ended up working the auctions and ended up working uh, kind of going out to clients' uh, estates and uh, working with Harry then, and that was really kind of just the client interactions I saw was really what drew me theme to explore some of the themes, you know, just, um, and I really wanted to explore, and, you know, to me, it was all from the beginning, it was going to be kind of a darker piece, um, exploring primarily themes of loss that I saw that kind of comes along with the territory of being an estate auctioneer. Um, and just also, I guess, um, in looking at, at some of the obsessive nature of being a collector that's kind of sometimes can can come along with that um and those interactions that i saw in working with harry i just saw kind of what he does for the individual clients he has in um in a time that they're kind of experiencing this this really great loss in their lives and what harry does to kind of um I guess, in a sense, put them at ease in, um, you know, with his personality and just, you know, making them comfortable and, um, uh, and I guess, 
helping them come to terms with with the material loss that they're facing but also you know and a lot of times it's it's uh his clients are recently widowed individuals um so they're dealing with that loss as well um so thematically those were, were kind of the two contrasting um threads that i wanted to explore with the piece was um in contrast to the darker themes kind of the exciting um nature of being at the auction which which is a very kind of lively uh joyous occasion so um but yeah those were like the kind of thematic things i wanted to to explore and i i i think i knew i was going to be able to just because i already had experienced a lot of that um working with with the uh the subjects so yeah, it's interesting and in the final film to me reads as a fairly entertaining and breezy piece and um uh a sort of a, a loving portrait documentary about Harry and Marilyn and a few of the other characters, but you know, mostly Harry and and, and Marilyn, but that it does in its I guess you can call it its third act. I mean, you know, in, in, its, in its in its final 10 minutes, it does turn more somber. Um, when we, uh, the time we spend with Harry and I guess it's his garage or a warehouse where he, he's kind of in the dark and he's talking about the changing neighborhood and all these pieces that he thinks are too good to get rid of, uh, but he doesn't have a way to sell them. And I want to ask you a little bit more about that later, but then also, of course, visiting the store that that other guy is wanting to sell and then but maybe most importantly visiting that widow's house um uh collector slash hoarder i don't i don't think the word hoarder comes up in this film does it um it does once but not in in relation directly to any of the subjects that are were f- featured you know i think there's a couple of the other auctioneers that um were featured at the at the party in the party scene they they mention an experience with uh, a hoarder that they, they dealt with. But, um, you know, I, those were kind of themes I wanted to explore and have part of the dialogue, but I didn't want to put a, put like, by no means put that label on anyone that was within the, f- the, the film and just kind of let everyone, let the audience kind of sure. interpret what they, what they saw. Yeah. So, but but getting back to what I was trying to say, and I'm sorry, I was kind of long winded about it. Was that that yes, there there is that there is that theme that that comes in towards the end of sort of, you know, death and passing on uh, a legacy and heritage, and um, uh, you know the the loss and grief and and those kinds of things. And interestingly. Um, you know, your piece is a strange length in that it's 30 minutes. And so I know that there's a, there are a bunch of film festivals that wouldn't even look at this film, I think, because it's longer than they like to think about for shorts programs and not and it's not feature length. We, we don't have that restriction by any means, and we get films of all different lengths. But when it comes down to figuring out where to put it in the festival, it gets a little trickier because... For shorts blocks, we kind of want to find like eight or ten shorts, you know, that we can put together either thematically or through some other or something or just 
dump eight or ten together and see what happens. Uh, but you know, to sort of build like an hour to an hour and a half's worth of shorts that in a in a regular year where we weren't online, but we were need actually showing things in the theater, that would sort of be you know we could sell a ticket to that shorts block. And it would we we treat that shorts block as if it was a feature, you know, and that's why we're looking for like an hour or an hour and a half, and then we move people out of the theater, and then the next film comes, um, and, and and we did the same thing this year, even though it's online, and we didn't really have those sort of time restrictions built into to having to move people in and out of theater venues, um, but it still sort of posed a challenge, like okay, we have this thirty minute piece, so it's either going to be like the centerpiece of a shorts block or. We need to find another home for it. And interestingly enough, the home that we found for Bidcaller is um, uh, it's paired with a feature length documentary, which actually is another Wisconsin's own film that went on to win a Golden Badger Award. And it's called The Passing On, and it's about black owned uh, funeral parlors in uh, San Antonio, uh, Texas. Um, and so it's that. It's that thematic link with that part of this of your film that that is exploring that thing that that ties those two films together, and I think it's a really a wonderful double bill, and uh, I'm hoping that you get to check out the passing on. Uh, I'm actually later on today. I'm sending out festival passes to all the filmmakers so that you'll be able to access uh, whatever you want to see during the festival. But anyway, that's that's where. That's where Big Caller landed in our festival, uh, paired with yeah, excellent, film yeah, death. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I, I was, I read about passing on, and I was excited to see, and I, and like you said, I thought it, it seemed like a, a perfect fit. I haven't haven't seen the film yet, but I'm I'm really excited to to watch it. So, yeah. So I want to ask you a couple more questions about the film, but I want to double back to something that you were saying that you. You know, thought of it at first as a student project, but realized you were going to have to drag a bunch of other people from Portland back to Wisconsin. So how did you assemble the crew in Milwaukee when you decided to go it alone? Because you do have a cinematographer and an editor and all kinds of other people working with you. Yeah, so um, the film basically, you know, started, I pitched the idea to a friend of mine who's a cinematographer here in Oregon. Um, he used to live in Portland, but is now in Bend, Oregon. Uh, Robert Rob Delahanty, and um, he's, you know, traditionally been a stills photographer for professionally for the last twenty-five or thirty years, and in the last decade, he's done a lot of uh, video projects. And so, you know, he was someone that I just thought would be perfect for for the project. Just in looking at his uh, approach to still photography alone, and some of the kind of stark beauty in his photographs, and just like the nature of the documentary style of his portrait photographs. So um, I I pitched the project to him and asked him if he uh, would be willing to make the trip with me. Um, you know, so. It was he and I really that were the the main uh, production team. You know, I, I went out to Bend and we did kind of a, a film test with his equipment, and uh, you know, and then we we flew to to Portland together, or to I'm sorry, with uh, Milwaukee together. And uh, my brother, uh, who's in Kansas City, flew in as a production assistant. So it was basically we kind of shot the film in six days um, as like a three-man team and you know for the two or three months leading up to the shoot I, I did as much you know pre-planning trying to to line up uh, 
you know, different scenarios throughout the week that we'd be there that I hope to, to kind of capture, um, you know, and, but really it kind of came down to what the, the Bethauser's week was looking, looking like. And, um, so I didn't know where we were going to end up a lot of the time other than kind of the, the real, the interviews that I had already kind of lined up. So was there, was there anything like an experience or part of the job that you had seen when you'd been working with them, or at least that you'd heard about that you were hoping to capture in that six days, but weren't able to arrange? And also, was there any one that you were hoping to talk to that you weren't able to? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think I had some ideas that were maybe a little grandiose in going in that I wasn't able to to capture. You know, I think I there were some some things I did. I, I think I wanted to create the scene where Harry auctioned off some sort of car in the parking lot, which I reached out to a couple like used car dealerships just because I thought it would be like a cool scene and. But some of those things like I had in mind just, you know, didn't work out. And, you know, but as far as um, things that I really wanted to capture that I, I didn't, um, I did want to go to, to Harry's hometown, which, you know, he, inter- he mentions in his um, introduction, New Lisbon, Wisconsin, um, just because I thought it would, would, would be great, great to capture him. Um, you know, in that sort of rural, in his rural uh, upbringing, that we just didn't didn't work uh, into the to the schedule. Um, you know, and who knows if we, if we had whether it would have made the piece or not. Maybe a couple shots. So, um, but really, you know, the the one uh, interaction or scene that I, I really was. Uh, hoping to capture and was, I guess, the most nervous about not capturing was um, the scene where we're at uh, Barb Barb's house. Um, the 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 scene that's right before we go into the auction. Um, that client interaction that I kind of knew was really central to what I wanted to explore, and you know, ended up uh, being kind of like a catalyst for the piece. The way you know she kind of spoke to some of our themes, um, but also in a sense, um, kind of provided a bridge for the, like how she spoke about, um, the loss that, but also how, how she spoke about, you know, the joys of, of collecting items and, um, what these material mean, things have meant to, to her and her husband, um, throughout the years. So, yeah, and 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 also the way that she speaks about Harry because it's interesting because she knows Harry and she's been an attendee at these auctions, and she talks about him. This is another reason why it was so interesting to pair this film with the passing on because she talks about him in a lot of the same ways that people in that film talk about the morticians um, and the funeral home people. You know that they are these caretakers of this moment in time when you are letting go of your earthly possessions and, and, and sort of, you know, uh, providing, uh, kind of a comfort to, to those that are left behind. Uh, it it really struck me that, that, that she sees Harry as like this, you know, uh, essential worker, uh, when it comes to the business of, of, of death and dying and, and, and estates. Yeah. 
I guess there wasn't a question there. Oh, that's <laughs> all right. Yeah. Talking. Um, uh, I, I want to ask you, um, uh, going back to the cinematography, it's an interesting mix of some, you know, sort of handheld, um, uh, you know, uh, following people around, but also some, some very strikingly um, arranged and um, framed um, static shots. Uh, there's, there's the interview that's done with Harry, I think, in his office. He's got those um, uh, animal heads mounted <laughs> on the walls behind him. And there's this amazing red light that's sort of coming from below. And it's a very dramatic, stark, uh, uh, colorful lighting. And I wonder, is that is that his office? And is that the lighting scheme that he has normally? Or did you kind of dress it up and, and make it more colorful for the for the film? Yeah, no, we uh, we dressed it up. I I kind of I had this suitcase that I brought. That was kind of my DIY lighting kit that we brought everywhere we went. And uh, I had this oh, copy light that I think is used for um, lighting still photo- photography. I'm not sure exactly, but uh, and I had this red red bulb that I brought, and I just I kind of put it behind or and under Harry's chair um, just to experiment and see what uh what rob thought of it and you know i think he he didn't think he was going to like it but we when we saw the frame uh you know it 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 worked and um you know i I think that's definitely speaks to um rob's talents in uh producing the 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 images and going back to to looking at his portrait photography is i think a lot of the the uh the interview shots that we came up with, you know, I definitely credit him with, with his, his talents there. So there's also, I think it's Marilyn who we see in a sort of a wide shot at some point, she's sitting on a, on a, on a sofa, but we're getting the entire environment around her and she's not looking anywhere near the camera when she's talking. But I find that to be a particularly striking, uh, angle for that, for, for a talking head interview. Uh, is that Mar- I can't remember. Is that Marilyn or is that somebody else? In there? Um, yeah, that, that's Marilyn. Okay. Yeah, that was and that was actually um, we shot that interview just after Harry's interview in the office at the the shop, and then uh, Marilyn there is basically sitting uh, within the furniture at the Colonel's Choice there. So ah, okay, so that's in the that's at Colonel's Choice. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, it's sometimes hard to tell. Are we in their house? Are we in their store? Are we at the auction house? Where the hell are we? Uh, you know, and it's, uh, but it, but it's all great. It's all, it's all great locations visually. Um, uh, he, he, I, had a, I had this question. She t- she tells the story of deciding she wants to become an auctioneer and telling Harry and and asking him to teach her and him saying, "I'm not going to teach you. I'm sending you to school." Do you know what? What was it? What's behind his decision that he's not the one to teach her? Um, you know, I think probably I think he just wanted her to have the opportunity uh, to to go to auction school and 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 get that experience is is what what I could imagine. You know, because I'm I'm sure Harry probably I think she goes on to say that Harry was definitely her mentor um, in developing her skills as a bid caller, but I think. Yeah, really. She he just wanted her to to get the opportunity to, to go to auction school herself. 
I think one particularly delightful study in contrasts happens when we meet the um, for because I don't I didn't write down her name but the church lady, um, you know, at, w- 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 and she seems to be living in an almost an entirely different universe and an entirely different way of presenting herself, and it's a wonderful contrast to the people we've met so far in the film. Um, was uh, did you seek her out? Did you know her from from your time in Milwaukee? Uh, you know, how did you how did you get in touch with and and plan on some of these other talking heads that you get in the film? Yeah, um, so Kay, uh, she's actually down in uh, Kenosha, mm. and um, she, the the Bethausers gave me her contact information as uh, you know they do an annual church auction for her and i i reached out and ha- uh, developed a, a nice dialogue over email in the a couple of weeks before our trip so you know we uh one of the days we just planned on on going down there to, to kenosha and uh you know we ended up doing like a two or three hour interview with Kay and it was she, she just uh, had a lot to say and was a, a really great, great interview, you know. Um, and uh, there was, a, I was hoping to, to be able to work more into what we discussed with her into the film. And it just, there was, it was just, you know, some way, way things work that, uh, you know, just her speaking, speaking kind of just briefly in that, that section was all that kind of really fit the narrative. Sure. She could probably star in her own documentary. <laughs> a much different documentary probably yeah <laughs> but um uh i, I, I want to go back for a second because i meant to ask you this a minute ago so there so we're back to talking about harry and his his interview in his office uh there's that striking sort of master shot but then at, at, at a later point in the interview and maybe it's a totally separate interview but it feels like it's the same interview but it's a closer closer shot of Harry in a different angle. Were you using a two camera shoot for that interview or did, were you, did you at some point change positions or was it a completely different interview and it just feels like it's from the same session? Um, it was the same interview, but we, uh, I think we did three different lens changes throughout the mm. interview. Um, so I think that was like a 80 millimeter lens that the close up. Uh, so we kind of, Started wide, went in close, and then finished the interview, I think, a little wider. I see those. Uh, I've seen, I saw something a couple of years ago um, where they where they used to have these, I don't know what they called them, like reporter cameras or something where, uh, you know, for documentary, for really, I think, for TV news people who were like on the scene covering covering a speech somewhere or something where they have like these rotating lenses on this 16 millimeter camera. Like you, you know, like they're all mounted to the camera at the same time and you can just sort of like twist it and like get, you know, and lock in the the next kind of lens. So you can go for, I think it's, I think it's mostly from going for going from like wide shots to close ups and medium shots. But uh, yeah, it would be nice if I had those for, for current video cameras. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe they do. I just haven't seen that. Yeah, it's po- it's possible. I've, I can picture uh, what you're you're speaking to, but I, I don't I haven't had any experience myself, you know. And I know, I think a lot of uh, uh, cinematographers these days, you know, because of 4K and 8K and all that, a lot of times that the res- resolutions are are so um, capable that they're able to right, kind of just do it crop. all in post. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who needs another lens? We'll just fix it in post. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I need to talk about the chanting and how tempting it must be to try to learn how to do that, or at least in your spare time, if you're spending any time around these auction houses, to, to try to do it yourself. Uh, and 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 how did you know? What's your experience with attempting to chant, and and how good have you ever gotten at it? Oh, uh, you know, um, I definitely have not gotten any good at it. I can say that. Um, but I've, you know, as working with Harry, I I had asked him, you know, just riding in the truck or whatever, you know, how you learn. And, you know, he, he taught me a couple of the cadences that you kind of start to practice, um, you know, and I think it's just, it's a matter of, of that, of repetition and, and, and practice. You know, there's one big brown bug, bit of big, big brown bear or something like that. And you just repeat that over and over. And, um, but as far as me bid calling, I've, yeah, I, I never, never really uh, attempted it. I, there was one point when I was working for the Betthausers that they asked if, uh, asked me actually if I'd be interested in in uh, learning to bid call and be an auctioneer. And you know, I pretty quickly said no, just because it's I, not, uh, you know, the personality of an auctioneer. It's got to be this big kind of outgoing, kind of personality. And I was just like, that's it's. It's, it's not me, you know, so. Um. Yeah, I mean, it seems like at least they do, uh, even when they're off pulpit or off stage, they have this sort of gift of gab. And I wonder if that's a quality that, that, that these bid callers have in their personal lives or if you've ever run into or heard of bid callers who in their personal lives are more introverted and maybe... Uh, not as sort of fluent in their verbal skills, but then just can turn it on the way that there are some stage performers and, and, and rock stars and stuff who are who are quiet and unassuming in real life. But when you put them on stage, it's a whole other thing. Yeah, you know, I think really I can kind of only speak to Harry, but I can say that his kind of uh, flamboyant, outgoing personality is, is kind of an all-day, everyday sort of thing. You know, that's just how he is. Um, but, you know, I, th- I know other, I think other, in my research for Bid Caller, in looking at kind of some other auctioneers, I think different styles of of Bid Callers, specifically, like, I think livestock auctions, you know, they're really kind of down to business, and it's just like one thing goes up and it's they're they're just going real fast and there's not a whole lot of the uh kind of performative sort of antics that you see at Harry's auctions that that make, you know, the Bethausers auctions really kind of a a really entertainment entertaining uh thing to to go go to so yeah well i i asked i had one other question about the film and that is the the sort of the auction that we get to see at the end, and how sort of disappointed Harry seems at the end of it, um, and that it's not it was not a successful auction, and so and he also says that it you know it's it's a rarity that it doesn't happen like that very often, but it does happen, and so did that change um, sort of the 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 overall tenor of your film to know that you were going to have to end it on a on a not quite triumphant note or, you know, typical note, you know, I, I'm assuming you must have thought I'm going to capture 
an auction and it's going to be a typical Harry auction and apparently this one was maybe not. So was that a concern for you or did you were you able to just roll with it? I mean, it doesn't... Uh, I don't get anything particularly out of it like this is the sign of the times and this is the, you know, the end is near for this whole industry or anything, but, but were you concerned at all about the impression that that would leave on viewers? Um... You know, honestly, I, my thoughts was that it kind of, uh, did service to the film kind of in it landing on the note it did. Uh, but I, I did, I was concerned a little bit about, um, you know, just how the Bethausers would feel about that auction being the one that was featured just, you know, cause I'm the, you know, relationship between a filmmaker and their subjects um, is a delicate relationship, but I didn't want them, uh, you know, uh, to to feel any any bad way ab- about it. Um, you know, and and they watched the film and and they were really excited about it and they were really happy. Um, they they loved it so. Uh, as soon as I heard from from them that they didn't have any bad feelings about about it, which I I kind of knew they wouldn't because they they just you know they're such great people and um that's just the the reality of their business some some auctions are great and you know others like this one was just kind of wasn't but you know i i I will say that um you know the auction that we captured and featured was definitely um it was the yeah, I guess it, it, it. Well, you can tell in the film it wasn't the greatest auction, but it was one of the worst auctions I'd ever experienced in a year's <laughs> worth of of working with them. So, and that was only because of you know kind of the, I think what they were able to bring in that particular week, you know. But I know they're still growing, going strong, and doing some some really great auctions. So it wasn't wasn't a, a great reflection of of every every auction for them. So. Yeah. Well, congratulations on, on a really delightful film. Um, what's next for you? Um, you know, I've, I've got a project in mind that I've had in mind for a while, but, uh, I don't know, it's kind of still in research phase. So it's uh, that particular project's a little too early to even probably mention just cause it's, I've, I've got a lot of work before it even, is reality to me, but you know, I'm, I'm, I work, uh, freelance as a gaffer and grip, um, you know, and I've, uh, kind of was making some strides in doing that. Um, as I finished my video production program back in 2018. Um, and so, you know, since the pandemic hit, I haven't really, uh, uh, had too many gigs, but I'm hoping, uh, to start doing some of that work again, um, and yeah, continuing to to make kind of documentary style style pieces, you know, slowly as I, as I go. So, yeah. Do you have any documentary filmmakers that you look to as inspirations? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I really really love Errol Morris. Um, he's one of my favorite documentary filmmakers um chris smith is another one mm-hmm. um, but so yeah he's got another he's got a great milwaukee based film yeah absolutely <laughs> american movie man it's one of the best yeah it really is um well 
Thank you so much for sharing Bidcaller with us, and uh, I'm excited to see what happens next with you, whatever it is. Well, thanks, Ben. Thanks again for having me, and yeah, just really, uh, really excited to to be a part of uh, the festival this year. And uh, wish it was coming to Madison, but I know I wish we could have brought you here, and I wish we could be watching it together in person. But uh, maybe next year we'll have that. Thank you, Ben. Uh, Take care. Looking forward uh, to seeing all the other films uh, in the festival this year. It looks like a great slate. Yeah, we do have some great ones. 